Well, good morning. We are one week away from the big game, and, uh, and every team, as they think about the big game, they prepare for that day, and so we are, in essence, preparing for that as well. And in 1961, in the summer of 1961, a group of world-class athletes gathered together on the field around their coach on the very first day of training camp, and that's the time where they prepare for the upcoming season. These men, these elite athletes, were just six months removed from losing a late fourth quarter lead and having this grip on the NFL championship slip through their fingers. They were just a few minutes away. They were one play away. They were one step away from being the best in their field, the best in their sport, and being the world championships, the best team that the world knew in that period and that time. But they let it slip away from their fingers. And so these men came back to training camp ready, hungry, fired up to take that next step to be the best of the best. And so on this day, they gathered on the field around their leader, their coach, expecting to hear that one thing, that one element, that one piece at the very top that would push them over the edge. And as they gathered around, waiting to hear that one piece of evidence, that one piece of advice, that one trick, that one tool, what they heard instead was more reminiscent of what they had been hearing all of their lives in Pop Warner football. And instead of a speech that would take them to the elite, they heard these words from their coach, Vince Lombardi. Gentlemen, this is a football. These world-class athletes, hungry, waiting, ready for their coach to say, this is the one thing, the one thing that will take us and push us over the top. This is what we have to do this year. This is what we have to change. This is what we have to tweak. And instead, what they saw was their legendary coach, who they didn't think was legendary in the moment, who they thought might have lost his mind, holding a pigskin that they had held for all of their lives so many times they forgot it even existed. They couldn't tell you what was on it. They couldn't tell you the writing, the lettering, because to them it was the most basic element of their sport. But it was just simply something that they used every day and forgot the meaning and the purpose for which it existed. So here's Lombardi in 1961 with world-class athletes. Saying, gentlemen, this is where we begin. And these men had to be thinking, coach, have you lost your mind? Did the loss to the Eagles push you over the edge? Because they're waiting, hungry, and ready for that next thing. But here's what Coach knew. Lombardi knew that if you would focus on the basics and fundamental elements of your sport and work on the basics of your craft, that it would be the very thing that would push you over the top to success. And Lombardi started a tradition that would carry through the rest of his illustrious career. See, because he knew that focusing on what nobody else was focusing on at the time would be the thing that would allow them to reach the top and the best of their field. And so he introduced this tradition at training camp in 1961 that would last the rest of his career. And that very year, the Green Bay Packers went on to destroy the New York Giants 37 to nothing in the NFL championship. That same team would go on to win the championship five of the next seven years, and Lombardi himself would never lose a playoff game again. In fact, he never coached a team with a losing record. 
because he was willing to focus on the basic fundamental elements of what nobody else would focus on. And so we ask for us as a church today, what is that basic fundamental element? And we have to go back to those basics of understanding why we do what we do, how we do what we do, what we do what we do, because it's important for us to not forget the basic fundamental element and fundamental reason we exist as a church and as a group of people, and this is what it is. This is the most fundamental element that we have as a church. This is what we do. We worship God by making disciples. We'll put that up on screen for us if we have that. This is the one thing we do. We worship God by making disciples. And this is exactly how Jesus began and ended his ministry. He came to the earth to give us the basic element and fundamental understanding that this is all I want you to do. You don't have to focus on all these other things or worry about all these other elements. You don't have to have the greatest building or the most important or the most impressive lights or the best worship band. You don't have to have all of these things. The thing that I want you to do, the most basic thing, the only thing I'm asking you to do as people and as a church is to worship me, to give me glory and honor by teaching other people to do the very same thing. And so Jesus began his ministry approaching two sets of brothers who happened to be fishermen. Walking along the Sea in Galilee, he approached Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he approaches these men and asks them to leave their craft and to leave their trade. That no longer would they fish for fish, but they would be men who would fish for other people. And so Jesus approached them in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, and this is what he said to them. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Peter's going to be important for us for the next few moments, and Andrew, his brother, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's fishermen cast nets into the sea to catch fish. Pretty basic, pretty fundamental. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You don't have to, have to fish for stinky fish anymore. You can fish for stinky people for the rest of your life. That'll be so much better. Your problems will be so much more less, right? You'll have less problems if you just worry about people instead of worrying about fish. So immediately they said, okay, that's a great idea, Jesus. We want to hang out with people. We don't want to hang out with fish. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And so Jesus continues along and going along, he, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them the very same way. Come, leave the fish, but continue to fish for people. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, over the next couple of years, these men, along with a lot of others, would follow Jesus. They would walk with him, they would hear him, they would see him, and they would continue to talk about those things that would push them to the elite. A couple of these men would argue, Jesus, what do I have to do? What can I do? When can I get to the position when you get to heaven that I can sit on your left and I can sit on your right? Can you just give us that one piece of evidence, that one simple thing, that trick, that, that tool? Can you give me this so that I can move to the elite? And Jesus, over the course of those years, would continue just reaching out to people, loving people, and caring for people. And so Peter, one of these men who was very outspoken, he was angry, he was proud, he would always speak when it wasn't his turn because he always thought he knew best. And so Peter was always questioning, always questioning why their leader, Jesus, would do what he would do, just like those Green Bay Packers were questioning their coach, Vince Lombardi, why would you tell us to focus on the basics? We know that already. So Peter would continually question the plan. Continually question other people who were around Jesus and continue to question the methods that Jesus had. 
He tried to cut off somebody's head and missed and cut off their ear. He tried to keep little children away from Jesus, and he tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Over and over and over again, Jesus, or Peter wandered and questioned and he doubted. Until the point where Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed. And unfortunately, Peter walked away. Because Peter not only feared for Jesus' life, but he feared for his own life. Because he had forgotten that in following Jesus, we're called to lose our lives, not to attain elite status in this world. And so Peter walked away, and as Peter was pondering what all had happened over the last couple of years, whether Jesus had lost his mind, and whether or not the world had lost their leader, and the Jews had lost their savior, Jesus, in his power, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of God, and the plan from the very beginning resurrected from the grave and overcame death and sin. And he appeared to several people over the next 40 days, upwards of close to 700 to 1,000 people. Peter was one of the very first that Jesus appeared to. Peter got a chance to see Jesus' plan in action. He got to see the purpose for which Jesus came to the earth and how he loved and how he cared for people. But it wasn't until about a week later when Jesus reappeared to the disciples and then appeared to him again, that Peter started to understand why Jesus had done and why he was doing all that he was doing. So Peter and the disciples had returned back to Galilee, back to their home, and they'd returned back to their trade of fishing. And, and we don't know if they had forgotten about Jesus or they had forgotten about the plan or they just weren't really sure about the resurrection, but this is what we know about Peter that he was so quick to being angry, so quick to forgetting what Jesus had told him, that he was going back to fishing. Forget fishing for people. I'm going back to fish. This is what I know. Forget all the things that Jesus told me. I'm going fishing. And so the other six men, the other six disciples that were with him said, okay, we'll go with you. This was their first trade. This is what they had known. And this is also the first place they had met Jesus. There's beautiful parts of scripture and beautiful parts of God's plan that we don't always understand. But for Peter to meet Jesus again, where it all began, is not just happenstance. It's not just circumstance. God was using all of creation, all of the elements, and all of the trade, work, and craft that we live within. And as Peter goes out onto the water in his own power and his own strength and says, forget all this, I'm doing my own thing. Peter and the other disciples cast their nets over on the side of the boat. And they haul the net back up. And there's nothing in the net. And they're fishing at night, which is the best time to fish. And so Peter knows, I've done this all my life. I know how to do this. I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to continue to focus on myself and my plan. I'm going to cast the net back over into the water. And so they threw the net back into the water. They hauled it back up and no fish. Time and time again, they threw their nets into the water. And every time they brought it up, their net was completely empty. And just as day was breaking, John records in John chapter 21. Just as the end of their shift was over. Just at the end of when they should have caught mountains of fish. Jesus appears. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus because he was resurrected and sometimes did not reveal himself to people until he was ready for them to understand. So in verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no, we've been at this all night, we have no fish. And so in verse 6, 
he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Cast it on the other side. And they're thinking, we've done this all of our lives. We know exactly what to do. But for some reason, they cast their net on the other side and they threw it down. But they were not able to haul it in, not because they were no fish, but because they were so many fish that they could barely haul the net up into the boat. And then verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, and we assume that disciple is John, because he loved Jesus more than Peter did, because John loved people more than Peter did. Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And Peter finally understand, came out of himself and out of his moment like, and realized life is not about me anymore. Life is about following Christ and teaching other people how to do the very same thing. And so he threw himself into the sea as if, Jesus, I messed up. I made a mistake. I made it about me. I forgot you. I forgot your plan. I forgot to care about people. Peter had to teach and train himself how to do this. For John, it came natural. For Peter, it was difficult. Because Peter was a bulldozer. He was going to run people over to get whatever he wanted instead of caring for people along the way. And so the disciples get out of the boat, and they sit down with, get this, a few fish and some bread. The most basic elements of life. And the very things Jesus used to reveal himself to a mass of people. And so they sit down at breakfast. <clears throat> Can you imagine this moment? Here are the disciples, seven of them, and Jesus, their leader. And here's Peter. He's walked away. He's forgotten about Jesus in the sense that he's not following him, not doing what Jesus had commanded or led him or showed him to do. And just the weight of the atmosphere and the environment, you could just cut it with a knife. Nobody wanting to look at Peter and Jesus at the same time. Peter not, probably not wanting to look Jesus in the eye and Jesus in his heart staring Peter straight down. All with this backdrop of the trade and theme of fishing not too far in the distance. And Peter and Jesus both knowing the weight that Peter is carrying. Jesus, I messed up. I made it about me. I quit following you and I quit fishing for people. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, this is a football. And in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you really love me? You say you do, but do you really love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, Peter, just feed my lambs. Wait, but I, I need that next level thing. I need that Bible study that's going to push me over the top. I, I need, I need that, that, that one piece of, of scripture. I, I need that one word that's going to transform and change my life. I need that prosperity. I need, I need that job. I need that relationship. Jesus, just give me this. And he said to him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. You know I do. Then tend to my sheep. Care for my people. Love others. But Jesus, can you just give me that one thing that's going to take me to that next level? And he said to him a third time in verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was grieved. Why does Jesus not think I love him? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then we have to start back at the basics. We have to start at the most fundamental reason I came. Peter, love, care for, tend, and feed my sheep. Do you love me? Care for people. Do you love me? Then teach people to love me as well. And Peter would go on the rest of his days, and he would display love to God, not by the things he accomplished, not by the places he went, not by the path he cleared out. Peter would continually, over and over and over, display his love for God by loving other people and teaching them how to love God as well. As basic and as simple as it gets. And you know that same calling, that same purpose, it's never changed in thousands of years. It is always the same for that group of disciples and for this group of disciples in this room and every disciple that will ever exist on the planet for the rest of time. It's as basic as caring for and loving people and creating environments where people can grow because they feel loved for and cared for. So how do we create these environments? Let me answer that by asking you one more question. Did you know that the the reason that a guest will return back to a church for a second time And the reason that people who have been in a church for a long time remain at that church for a long time is the very same answer. Let me ask that again because that could be confusing. Did you know that the reason a guest will return to a church for a second visit and the reason someone stays at a church for a long period of time is the very same reason? Any guess as to what that reason is? It's one word. One word. People. That's the very reason. That's the one reason people will come back to a church or stay at a church long term. Why? Because people are looking for community. People need friendship. People need relationships. People want to be loved, cared for, known, and accepted. That's the number one reason people come. According to Greg Atkinson, who's a a minister, pastor, author, speaker, all these things who researches this type of thing. He has three main factors, three main reasons that a guest specifically will come back to a church for a second or a third visit. These are the main factors in their decision. Number one, hospitality. Hospitality has to do with you and I. How we receive, care for, make plans for people. Now remember this, you've heard it before and you know it to be true. When family comes over, how much do you clean up? Not very much. When a guest comes to your house for the first time, everything looks like it's completely brand new. You could lick the floor. You could eat off of anything. Even the washer and dryer is spotless. There's a reason. Because you want to communicate to people, you're welcome here. We love you. We've prepared this place for you. The second reason, pretty directly enough, is people. People. 
they found people that are their people, right? That's kind of the big deal. You're my people. You're my tribe. You're my group. You're my squad, whatever the term, whatever the phrase is, however it changes. Everybody's got squad goals, and they need a whole lot of people to accomplish those goals, right? So it's people connecting in relationship to people. Here's the third one that's interesting. Facility-related items, the cleanliness, how easily you can navigate around those facilities. You know who makes those things clean? You know who makes those avenues possible to navigate? People. Now, you're thinking, if you're a deep, spiritual, disciplined person, and maybe you're not, and we'll get you there, but you're thinking, yeah, but what about theology? we got to teach them right theology. Yeah, but what about helping people find their purpose? Yeah, but what about? The problem is, if we never get people past that first step, we never get to steps number 50, 70, 80, 90, 200, which leads to transformation and growth, which is what Jesus said, feed my people. Let me ask you this. Do you know how quickly, according to Greg Atkinson, that same author and speaker and writer, do you know how quickly a guest will make their decision on whether or not to return? Any guesses? First 10 minutes. Before theology is ever preached. Before the word of God is ever opened up. And you can argue against the culture. You can argue against our consumeristic society. You can argue against all those things. But it's reality. We as people. All of us. Even probably at a restaurant. We're going to decide whether or not we're coming back. Because of how we're greeted. How we're cared for. How we're loved. How people notice us. How people have planned for us. And made room for us. And so we go back to the very basic. Back to the fundamentals. And Jesus says, love, care for, tend my people so that you get a chance to feed my people. Now, for me, this was, became very real. It's been real for me for a long time, but this became very real, personally real this past week. <coughs> Excuse me. I met a longtime friend for lunch this week. We sat down for lunch, and we've done this off and on for years. We've been friends for probably 15 years now. He has since moved away to another community in our state. And so over the last couple of years, we have talked about, you know, what it's like living where he lived and, and how his wife is doing, how their jobs are doing. We talk about family and life and, and career, and we ultimately get to ministry and to church because he had helped me, you know, as a volunteer for many years, and, and I'd poured a lot of things into him, and he had helped me through the years of, of difficulty, sometimes setting a course. And so he gets in ministry, and, and he's been visiting this, this church, a certain church for about a year, not in a community, different, so don't start thinking, I bet it's this one, it might be this one, you, don't worry about that. And over the past year, he's been visiting, and, and he's, he loves this church, he enjoys this church, he get, the teaching is good, uh, the, the worship is good, the facility is good, all those things are good. But there's one theme that's kind of been coming up, as I've noticed in our conversations, he says, you can go into a worship service and you can leave and never talk to anyone. And that's been consistent over the course of the past year. But he felt like it was a good, solid, Bible-teaching, disciple-making church. And so he and his wife decide about a month or two ago to go into the membership classes. Four classes is what this church does. So they go and they sit down in this first session thinking, we're going to get a chance to interact with some of the staff, leaders, other people attending the church. We'll get a chance to connect with other people and have community. 
And unfortunately, they were disappointed. All they were given was an introduction by a person to a pre-recorded video that lasted for the next 45 minutes, leaving, not really talking to anyone. Now, over the next three weeks, they were unable to attend because of sickness and because they were out of town. And he said this, no one has called me to say, we missed you. Were you planning to attend the others? We're so glad you came to the first one. And then he said, I'm not sure we'll be going back. This is what, as he's saying this, this is what is ringing through my ears. Because the past year, he has also made another statement. He says, it's a whole lot like LifePoint, just on a bigger scale. Now, he wasn't talking about our friendliness, our nurturing, and our care for other people. He was just simply talking about the way we do church, the style, the music, the teaching, all of those types of things. But I couldn't help but think, how do we keep, as we continue to grow and reach people, how do we keep loving, caring for, and tending for people? How do we focus on the basics, the fundamental elements of what Jesus came to do and teach us to do instead of focusing on, if we could just tweak this, if we could just get this, if we could just have this or buy this or do this, then that would change everything. We'd be able to minister to and love people and reach people in a different way. How do we continue to focus on that very fundamental element? Tending to, caring for, loving because that's all we ever want anyway. All the other stuff's a nice addition. But all we want is to be known, to be loved, to be accepted for who we are and to have people encourage us, challenge us, and cry with us. That's what we all want. And so in 1961, Ben Somebody went back to page one of the playbook. He said, gentlemen, this is how we block and tackle. We're going to do it like nobody else does it. And at the beginning, the opening and the closing of Jesus' ministry, Jesus sits Peter down. He says, Peter, let's start back at page one. Love, care for, and tend my flock. And for us at LifePoint, our page one, we're not talking about page 90 or page 150. Our page one is connecting people to faith and family. That's it for us. This is what we do as people walk in the doors. We have conversations, relationship with people in the community. We're trying to connect other people to faith in God and connect them with other people so that those people become their people, so they have family to love, to care for, because we believe that transformation happens in the context of relationship. That's how we grow in ways we never could have alone. And so you have something in front of you, and the, and the seat pockets are underneath you. There's one in about every other chair. It's a blue book. I want you to get out. And we're going to walk through over the next few moments together. It's blue, and it says, here to serve, and it says the playbook on the front. What we'd like for you to do is to take one for every individual, or one for every couple, or, or one for every couple of people. Um, if you don't have one, you can raise your hand. The ushers will come and give you one. But right in front of you, in the seat right in front of you, in the, in the uh, pocket there, uh, there should be a, a playbook for you. <coughs> Excuse me again. So over the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. And this seems so fundamental, this seems so elemental, and this seem, might seem so boring, and you're like, what kind of sermon is this? But we believe this is the practical outworking of beginning on page one of the playbook of caring and loving 
for people. So I'm going to walk you through some of this. I'm not going to walk you through all of this, and this doesn't contain everything either. This just contains a few highlights of a few areas, and then it also contains a summary of some things as well. So let's go through this. This is basically covering the Sunday morning as a guest walks in or you walk in as a member to feel loved and cared for. Turn to page one and page two where it says guest services map and key. We'll also have it up on the screen for you as well. I'm going to talk through a couple of these and one or two of these is going to be very new for you whether today's your first day or your thousandth day because we've been working on some things to get better at the basics and fundamentals of loving and caring for you and caring for other people. So here are the, the, the areas that you're going to see on your map and you've got the key cafe and white connector which is a new role I'll explain in a minute, greeter, security, team LP, tour guide and usher. And so all of these teams gather together on our guest services team, which is, is caring for and loving people as you walk in the door. And then also our team LP team. That's, that team is over helping volunteers get connected in ministry and finding your purpose so that you can serve other people as well. Now we have a lot of other things. Worship goes on, production goes on, kids goes on. But we're just focusing on page one today, helping people in those first 10 minutes the first 10 minutes to navigate, is this a place where I can be loved, cared for, and known? And so these teams gather together. Now, this is, some of this is going to be old to you, but I'm going to explain a few things that we're going to hold ourselves to. If we want to love people well, if we want to care for them well, there are a few things that we as a team have to hold ourselves to. And the first one is called a huddle. If you've played sports before, you know what a huddle is. You know what happens in the huddle. You can turn to, to page four and find out the definition of what a huddle is. And, and if you've played sports before, you know what it is. If not, a huddle is where it all begins each week. LifePoint Serve teams meet every Sunday morning in preparation of pointing people to life in Christ. And so we ask people on these teams to gather together. If you're serving at the 9 o'clock, we ask you to be here at 8.20, actually 8.15, because huddle starts at 8.20. And you say, we've really not held ourselves to that before. I know we haven't. Which means we've come out of the huddle with not everybody knowing the next play. And not knowing how to care for people or what's going on. And so these are things that we're going to hold ourselves to. If you're on one of those teams, or you want to be on one of those teams, or if we're leaders of one of those teams, we're going to hold ourselves because we're going to raise the expectation because we know the one thing we're supposed to do is to worship God by making disciples. And we start by caring and loving for people. So we're going to gather together at 820 for huddle. And we're going to meet and we're going to talk through a couple of things. These are the four things that you're going to talk through when you enter into huddle. You're going to share stories. So you're going to talk about how God is using your ministries because stories connect with each other. Because if all we do is show up and shake hands every single week, then we'll get tired of shaking hands. But if we know when we shook somebody's hand and we looked them in the eye and we knew their name and when they came back the next time we remembered their name again and people go, nobody does that anymore. It's exactly why Vince Lombardi talked about blocking and tackling because nobody focused on it anymore. And they went on to win five of the next seven NFL championships. My friend walked into a church and walked out of a church 40 to 50 times. And nobody not only knew his name, but barely even said hello. And so we're going to share stories and huddle. Hey, when you did this last week, I just want to let you know, this family... They've joined a community group, and now they're starting to grow, all because you and I showed up, because you were there. You remembered their name, and they made a comment. I can't believe people at LifePoint know my name on the second visit. The other thing you're going to do is you're going to talk about the details for the day. You're going to talk about this is what's going on. So on a day like today, those teams said, hey, we have these guides that are going to be out in place. We're going to place them before everybody gets here. We're going to be ready to hand them out if anybody needs extras, and we're going to be prepared to serve people as we talk through this today. The third thing is you're going to be reminded of how and why you serve. 
There's a, there's a serve code that we have that tells us this is why we do this. This is why we serve people and this is how we serve them. And then the fourth thing you're going to do, which is becoming a true team. You're going to pray for each other. You're going to talk about what's going on in your week. How can I help you this week? How can we serve one another, not just serve other people? How can we become a team that loves and cares for one another? And again, if you've been on a team before, whether it's sports or not, you know the one thing that keeps you on that team longer than you should have is people. You don't want to leave because of the people, because you built a family and a relationship with them. So we're not asking you to serve just because we want you to fill a spot or fill a role. This is all a part of your discipleship and growth as well. This is how we, part of how we feed you in teaching you to find purpose and serve others. And so then I want to go through a couple of, of, of roles with you, and I'm just going to pick a couple out. But turn to page five first, and, and you can look at the critical priorities. This is specifically for guest services. But a lot of this goes for other areas as well. And again, <coughs> excuse me. Again, some of this is changing the culture of what we already have in place. So we need your help to not say the phrase that we all say. We've never done it that way before. You're not with me because you're thinking of the redneck phrase. You know, the last phrase you ever said, hey, what's this? We've never done it that way before. We, we can't say that. Because then we'll never, reach, never be able to reach people and serve people and care for people. Because here's the only constant in life, other than God, is change. Change is the only constant. So we always have to be changing and growing. And so these are some critical priorities you've got in your book. We need every single person that serves on a Sunday morning to go through this curtain, not behind the curtain at Oz, but to go through this curtain and check in. Team LP will be there to check you in, and you'll have a lanyard and a badge that says which team you serve on. And you say, well, I'll just take mine home with me because I know I'm coming back next week. Imagine next week as two teams gather to play the Super Bowl. And one of the guys says, well, you know, I left my cleats and my, my helmet. And the coach is like, are you going to bring them? Well, I, I probably will. Coach isn't going to leave that to chance. He's going to get that to the team manager. Team manager is going to have everything together so that everybody's ready to go. And that's one of the important things about you and I checking in every single week. Because when that team gets on the team bus and they start counting heads, guess what happens to the guy that's late or not on the team bus? He doesn't get to play that day. You don't get to play because coach needs to know, I've got this many guys, I've got this crew, and we're going to go together and we're going to win. Now, that's not being hard-nosed and saying, hey, if you're a few minutes late or every now and then you've got a sick kid or you've got a flat tire, we, we understand grace. But consistently showing up on time, checking in at Team LP so that we know who is where and we know that we have a team ready to serve people in the different areas and avenues and our environments and ministry for that day. Does that make sense to everybody? So we ask you to be on time so that we know who's here. Now, if you've served with us before, you know that during the week or prior week, you get a notification on email or on your phone through a, a, a service that we use called Planning Center. It tells you when you've been scheduled to serve and you can accept that or you can decline that. So we need you, as you receive those emails, to accept or decline by Thursday evening on the week that you serve. 
And the reason is we can't wait till Sunday morning going, well, I hope they show up. They haven't responded yet, and I hope they're going to come. Imagine if we have someone teaching your kids that we don't know if they're going to show up or not. How many times are you going to come back to this church? Not very many because we're not doing what? Feeding your sheep. And so we need to know who's here. And so beginning in a couple of weeks, we're going to give a little bit of grace period. Beginning in a couple of weeks, we're going to send you a message on Thursday afternoon and say, hey, we noticed you haven't responded. Would you please respond, accept or decline? If you still don't on Friday, we will replace that spot with somebody else. Not because we want you off the team, but because we have to have somebody on the team. Does that make sense? Everybody got that? Understand that? It's not going to be hard-nosed. It's just a soft, gentle reminder. Hey, you haven't responded. We understand. I've been sick this week. I probably wouldn't have responded. Luckily, I showed up today. Or somebody wouldn't be preaching. And then the other thing we need you to do is when you leave, we need you to take your, your badge and your lanyard and we need you to go back to Team LP and check out so that we have everything stored and ready and we have everybody accounted for. That's important so that we know where everybody is and, and w- whether or not we have teams that are ready to go. And, and as we check out, we have badges ready for the next week, okay? So there's some basic critical priorities. And I know for some of us, this is really boring. And some of you are gritting your teeth because you don't like change and because you don't like somebody telling you what to do. And I get all that. I understand that. We all push back against change. But if we remember why, we're here to love, tend, care for God's children and his sheep. Okay, so let me go through a couple of things. Guest services, responsibilities. Um, one of the areas I want to cover here is the, the Usher uh, team vision, starting on page 18. <coughs> the team vision for the Ushers says this, create an atmosphere of warmth and personal welcome by helping people find their seats, navigate the facility, and minimize distractions. That right there covers all three of the main factors, hospitality, people, and navigating facility. All right there in one shot. The ushers, if we'll go back to the map, now we're going to talk about boundaries on a, on a field. The ushers, a lot of times, like to hang out in this area where the lobby is. But we're going to ask our ushers going from this point forward, is ushers stay in this room or up in the balcony? And the reason is this is where your primary ministry happens. We have such a small lobby that if the ushers wander off into the lobby, we create these, these congested areas where our guests cannot walk through and there's a sea of people. And honestly, guess what happens? This is where you can get mad at me, okay? I go ahead and give you a fair warning. Go ahead, just throw tomatoes and darts. We spend too much time congregating in here, out here, and sometimes in here talking to each other. And a guest not only just walks by, they have to scoot their way around or by. And not only does it communicate, hey, you didn't notice me, hey, you didn't even care to move out of the way for me. As a guest, I'm not coming back. I'm so glad we're a church that loves each other and that should continue, but always with an arm that says, come on, Come on, jump in. Come into our conversation. Come into our lunch. Come sit beside me. Come into our group. Always with an open area and an open spot and open arm. Come on, we made room for you. We made a spot for you. Jump in. We want you to be a part of the family too. And so ushers, 
We're asking you to stay just in this worship room because our greeters and tour guides, they will take care of out there and they will bring guests into here and introduce you to them. And your role as an usher is to help people navigate and find their seats. Hey, do you need to, you need to know about the restroom? You know, the cafe's back there. Have you gotten your kids checked in? Can I help you find a seat? And they're going to ask you, watch this, as we raise the level of expectation, you're not going to be happy with them because you're not going to be happy with me. Now, this is something that we're not very good at, especially as men. We love to spread out. And so as the room starts to get full, the ushers are going to ask you, could you please scoot down? Could you please slide over? And here's what I'm asking of us. Don't be frustrated. Open that arm and say, yeah, come on, I'll, I'll make room for them. I'll make an empty seat for another family, for another individual. Come on, and I'll not just make an empty seat. I'll start a conversation. Sit them beside me because I want to get to know them. Sit them in my row because I want to ask them questions. Sit them right in front of me or right behind me so I can turn around and say, hey, how's your week been going? Where's your family? Go to school. Where do you work? So we can start to care for and love people. All right, so that, that's ushers. Let me go through uh, Team LP responsibilities on page 25 and 26. And again, we're not covering everything, and we're just going through some of the basics. The weekend serve team for Team LP is behind this curtain in this hallway over here, and this is their team vision, to assist team leaders through volunteer check-in and placement for successful ministry. So when you come in as a volunteer early, 8.15, right? 8.15, so we can be at Huddle at 8.20. When you come in and you check in, there will be two people there waiting to talk to you to check you in. Where are you planning to serve today? What's your name? And getting your ministry badge and your ID and sending you off on your way. Because when we all check in, we know where everybody is and whether we have, whether we have spots we need to fill. Now, this is what's going to happen on Sunday morning, starting in a couple of weeks. And again, you're not going to like me, and I'm so sorry. If your huddle time starts at 8.20 and you have not checked in at 8.20, guess what you're going to get? A text message or a phone call. Hey, you responded. You said you were going to come serve this week. And you're a greeter today. And your huddle just started and you haven't shown up. Just wanted to make sure you're still on your way. Just want to make sure you weren't sick or didn't have a flat tire. Because at that time for guest services, guess what the team leader for guest services is doing? They're leading huddle. Building that vision, planning for the day. They shouldn't be looking around. Hey, can you come sit over here? Can you come be in this spot? Can you be a greeter for me? Can you be an usher for me? They need to be leading their team. So Team LP will be calling and texting you and say, hey, you're late for practice. The game's about to start. Are you coming? If not, we need to fill your spot. Everybody good with that? You mad at me? You can be mad at me and quit. I, I'm, I apologize. Just come see me. Blame it all on me, okay? It's really not all on me, but I, I'll take it. Um, so that's what our weekend serve team does. And then I'm going to show you uh, another area, page 8 and 9. <coughs> this is a new role called the connector. Now, we as a church are awesome at a few things. And we are not very good at a couple of others, okay? We are awesome. When you pull up, I think we're really, really good. When you pull up and you come up into the lobby, you've been talked to, you've been greeted, people look you in the eye, they shake your hand, they help you get to your kids area, they help check you in, they help all of those areas and all those things. Am I, am I correct? Am I pretty close? We're pretty good at that. But when you walk through these doors and sit in these seats, if you're 5, 10, 15 minutes early, we stink. We are really, really 
bad. And I know a bunch of guests want to say amen out loud, but they don't want to be kicked out in their first week. <laughs> For some reason, again, we all like to congregate out there. And, and I don't know if we're just worried or ashamed or shy or whatever. We just aren't good at seeing people and going, I've never seen them before. Let me go sit with them and talk to them for a few minutes to get to know them, to make them feel comfortable before the gathering starts. We just kind of leave them orphaned off to the side. And if you've been a guest with us the last year or two, you know that's happened to you. Can I get like a mini amen hand up? You know that's happened. I've seen it happen. And so the connector, there's two of them. The connectors, this is their, their vision, to create an atmosphere of warmth and personal welcome by helping people make connections with other people, ministries, groups, and events. So the connectors will be walking around looking for people. Hey, I've never seen you before. Is this your first time? No, it's my fifth time. Okay, no big deal. Not a big deal. That's what we're worried about. They're going to be here 10 times and I've never have met them. You got to meet them once. You got to meet them for the very first time. You just walk up and say, hey, I've never met you before. My name's Gabe. What's your name? Have you been to LifePoint before? Yeah, we've been about five times. Awesome. I'm so glad today I finally get to meet you. You know anybody else here? No, I really don't. Okay, where do you work? I work at 3M. You have any kids? Yeah, they go to school at um, Decatur High. Cool. I know another family that they work over on the river as well, and their kids go to Decatur too. Can I introduce you real quick? Hospitality, caring for people, making connections so that these become your people, so that we get a chance to care for, tend, and feed the sheep. So these connectors are walking around, but you don't have to be assigned to be a connector when you walk into this room, all of us should be looking for somebody we don't know just to say hi to. It takes 10 seconds. You can make, make it take 10 minutes, but it can take 10 seconds. Hey, I'm so-and-so. We've been here for six months. How long have you been here? And you get a chance to know people because people want to be known, cared for, and loved. And there's another area that I don't want to bog us down, but I'll, we'll tell about that in the next couple of weeks. You may read it in here, um, but... Y'all are all bored already, so we'll just move on, okay? Page 32. That's probably the most exciting one, but I, I want to wait and share that when your, your mind is fresh. All right, page 32. If you say, I don't want to serve on guest services, I don't want to serve, serve on Team LP, I don't want to check kids in, I don't want to do any of those things. Starting on page 32, there is a summary list of a lot of other ministry roles in our church that you may want to serve in. And so you can flip through those, read through those. They're also on our website, lpdecatororg slash serve. You can see all those there. You can fill out information to sign up and be a part of that, <coughs> excuse me, as well. Now, you say, when is some of this change going to roll out? Some of it will roll out in two weeks, beginning on February the 10th. Some of it will be a couple of months, and honestly, one or two of these are still a couple of years away. Not ones we've introduced, but a few others we've been working on. Because this, don't mistake this as the entire playbook. This is page one. This is where we begin. This is not the whole of our ministry. This is just where we start so we can begin a relationship so that we get a chance to feed people and teach people how to love Christ as well. And so some of these things will be rolling out. We have some new items that are coming up as well. But this isn't something that I dreamed up myself. This is, I'm not that good. I couldn't do that. I'll take all the blame for the bad stuff. But I want to show you a part of the team, including with our staff, a part of the team called our framework team that, that really is a part of a lot of this success. We've been meeting for about the last eight months, about once every three or four weeks, and we've been talking about these ways of connecting people, helping people find their place, to find their family, to find their people, and these are the men and women, Ashley Clark, John Evans, Phil Foster, Dave Hamilton, Heath McCleskey, myself, Ilya Ryan, and Zeke Terry. 
And these men and women have worked hard and tireless. They're great men and women who love people, who love to serve brilliant minds within our church, within our community. And they have done an awesome job helping us come up with ways to help you get connected and help other people feel loved and get connected as well. And so we've created this process for a reason. Because Sean Lovejoy, another great pastor and leader, says this. Design a process that seeks to produce the result you hope to attain. And the result we hope to attain is to connect people with faith and family. That's why we created this. It's not so that we can grow in attendance. It's not so that we can get more numbers. It's not so that we can put people in spots. We do this because we want to care for and love people. It's a process to do that, and it's a reminder of that as well. Because this is the saying that we've been kind of grappling with over the last couple of months, and it's this. This is for all of us, whether or not we attend or we serve or whatever. This is a reminder for us. Do not let this Sunday be just another Sunday. Today could be someone's very first or someone else's very last. When they walk through the doors of this building, maybe the very first time they've ever been loved, very first time they've ever been accepted, maybe the very first time they've ever truly heard the gospel, but it also might just be someone's last shot. I'm going to give it one more chance. I'm going to give God one more opportunity. I've been through it all. I've been to so many places. I've been burned. I've been hurt. I've been rejected. I've been denied. I'm going to give it one more shot. And if we can be prepared with a mindset of the basics and fundamentals of just caring for people, then I guarantee you that person that's giving it one more shot will probably give it one more shot. Because these people aren't like other people I've known in church before. These people aren't like the other people I know in the world and my job. These people are doing the things nobody else is doing. They're caring for people. They're sending text messages. They're writing cards. They're inviting me into their group. And so this is what we ask of you today. In the seat in front of you, you have a card, a small card, that says, find purpose at the very top. If you're interested, this is the way we want to help you get connected to serve. Now, I want everybody to take this out because we're asking everybody, whether or not you are currently serving or you're interested in serving, we want you to fill this out. If you're already serving, take this card out and fill it out. You get a chance to mark your name, email, phone number, which gathering you would like to serve in, how often you would like to serve, and on the back there are ministry teams. We need every single person. You say, I've been serving here for seven years. I don't care. It's a good way for us to start back on page one, back at the basics, so we have all the correct information, so you get a chance to say, I've been serving in this ministry for two years, but I'm ready to try something different. Today's your chance. Today's your shot to make that change. And if you're with us and you say, I have never, I didn't know how. Maybe you're one of those people we failed in the past. You love coming in on Sunday, but you're like, I don't know how to get connected with people. I don't know how to get connected with ministry, but I want to. And listen to me, church. If people have that experience for too long, guess what happens? They're going to go somewhere else and find it. So this is a process and a plan to help people get connected, you and I, to get connected to ministry. So we'd love for you to take this, fill this out today. A blue book, it'll come by in a minute. You can drop this in. Or in the back, there are brand new boxes. You can slide it in there as well. We're asking everyone, I don't care if you've been serving for 10 years, fill it out today and turn it in. If you're a guest and you're like, hey, I, I just showed up today. You don't have to fill it out, okay? Nobody's going to judge you for not filling it out. We'd rather you take your time, get to know us a little bit before you decide to jump in and be a part of what God is doing here.
Let me answer one more question, and then I'll, I'll stop. Maybe you've been to church before, and you go, I've heard this spiel before. They, have, they want everybody to serve because they need people. Let me tell you, the reason we want you to serve is not because we need you. That's not the main reason. The main reason that we're asking you to serve is because it is a fundamental, basic element of your growth in Christ. It is a displaying of your love. It is Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? Then go serve my people. Peter, I know you say you love me. You come into the worship service. You raise your hands. You might give some money. Peter, do you really? Yeah, God, you know I love you. And get off your tail and start loving other people and serving them. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Okay, Peter. It's time to start displaying it. By giving of yourself and thinking about others. So that you can teach them how to love me as well. Because this is what we believe. This is a statement we stand upon. This is what we believe about you and I in serving others. That you're never more like Christ than when you serve someone else. If you want to be like Christ, which is the goal of every Christian, then you're never more like him than when you're lowering yourself, bowing and bending your knee so that you can care for somebody else so they get a chance to be connected to faith and to family. And we get a chance to tend, to care for, love, and feed God's people. You with me? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's good. I like that. All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you for um, your love and your concern for us in, in that you, the very basic and fundamental element of who you are and what you design and plan to do is love and care and concern. So God, help us as your people they want to get so focused on how do I become elite? How do I become top level? How do I get this extra element or this little nugget? That we, like Peter, sometimes run off and we wander into other areas, into other avenues. And God, all you've asked us to do from the very beginning is to love, care for, and tend your flock. So Father, help us as a church to be known as a place where people are cared for. To be known as a place, no matter where you come from, no matter what's happened, no matter your background, no matter what you're struggling with, people are going to love you. People are going to accept you. They're going to care for you. And they're going to encourage you to grow in your walk and your faith with God. Whether you start from the very beginning or you feel like you're starting from the bottom. God, help us to be that people. Not because it works, not because it's successful, but because it's the essence of who you are. And upon what you have built your church. So let us be the people who care for the world. And shine a light of love in a community that desperately needs it. Father, we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.